Warren Spawn's classic, 300 Major League Victory, is the most inspiring sports thrill of 1961. Good morning and welcome to episode 300 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. Uh, I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh, um, and uh, because 300 is an exceptionally important number in baseball, we have an exceptionally important guest who I will announce in a moment. Uh, by way of introduction of him, I want to start by talking about a piece that um, a sometimes baseball writer named uh, Moshe Mandel wrote on March 18th about the insular log rolling world of baseball blogging. Moshe said, Use certain stats, praise the right people, criticize certain writers, and you too can be part of the counterculture that is sweeping the sports nation. Once you're in the club, your content is not subjected to nearly the same rigorous analysis and subsequent snark that an outsider might face. In the few instances where a member of the club is criticized, it is with a much softer touch and more forgiving tone than that afforded a member of the media. Just a few days later, as though uh, Moshe was a prophet, um, Brian Kenny got uh, his own radio show on NBC Sports Radio. A few days after that, he uh, got a show called MLB Now, uh, in which he debated uh, hot baseball topics with Harold Reynolds. And just like that, the sabermetric world had its probably most divisive member. Uh, Kenny has been, uh, I would say, probably the most uh, high-profile defender of uh, many sabermetric viewpoints over the last six months. He has also, uh, I would say, changed the tone in a way that sabermetricians are often not very comfortable with. And because of that, uh, he is strangely uh, criticizable in a lot of ways, I would say. I, I, it feels as though uh, people who are have been playing polite with each other for many years uh, now feel no compunction about uh, getting a little bit, um, I don't know, in tussles with you. Uh, and in a way, it's kind of nice to see. And in a way, I'm not sure where it's taking us. So... Uh, Brian Kenny, uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you? That's some welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you, say, you say I'm confrontational. All right, let's do this, fellas. <laughs> so uh, you're probably most famous for the Kill the Wind movement, um, but you know you're also famous for your uh, Hawk Harrelson uh, Hawk Harrelson debate, and uh, you know uh, I guess you're somewhat famous for. Uh, not not enjoying no hitters is a thing that I've I've seen uh, people attribute to you a lot, um, and so I guess the question that I would have uh, probably more than anything is um, uh, what do you, what do you sort of figure your role is and what do you figure your goal is when you go on the air? Well, I question everything. Uh, I look at things skeptically. I look at things logically, and when things don't line up logically. I point them out. It's really not much more than that. And um, I, I am pretty dogged and fairly persistent. And through the years now, because remember, I was doing, I mean, I've been in this business 25, well, no, 27 years. And when I first started reading Bill James and Total Baseball, it was a long, long time ago. By the time I got a voice on ESPN and was doing Baseball Tonight, uh, I was, you know, on the air regularly and I was consistently, you know, held back, uh, being told that people were not ready for this. People don't understand it. Can you just do it the way we've been doing it and, you know, stop making so much trouble. And I guess I listened and I listened and, 
at a certain point when I went to Major League Baseball Network and I really immersed myself in study doing Clubhouse Confidential, at a certain point I did kind of turn my, uh, I don't know if I, I, it wasn't a conscious decision, but at a certain point I really did say, why do we, by we I mean you two guys with me because we're in this together, why do we have to be polite to them when they are not polite to us? Mm-hmm. And Why do you suppose we are? Because I, I, Ben and I are both very non-confrontational guys. We're both, I, I, at least I can speak for myself, I'm terrified <laughs> of getting in fights. I am like, I, I'm it, uh, generously, you might say, pacifistic, um, and less generously, you might say, a wuss. Uh, <laughs> why do you suppose uh, it's taken so long for sabermetrics, or, as you would say, to, to kind of get confrontational in this mainstream way? Well, it's very hard to break through. Look, the reason I have this voice, the reason I have these platforms, is not because of my baseball brilliance. It's because I'm a very good broadcaster. Uh, it's because I can host shows. Again, the people at ESPN, they didn't care if I was studying baseball sabermetrically and had a good line of logical thought. They knew I could write and I could read and I could anchor, you know, Sports Center, college football, half times. Friday Night Fights, all these different shows that I did. Uh, So I'm a host. So I get the job at MLB Network, and I'm a broadcaster. I'm a host. But I also also study baseball very deeply and have for years. And because I'm in that spot, I now have a chance to talk to these mainstream guys that you guys do not have the chance to talk to. And you have to ask yourselves, or anybody that criticizes me now, they should ask themselves, how come they're not in a position to criticize the mainstream people and the people still in positions of power? Mm-hmm. I would ask you that. Why do you think you're not in that position? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think it's... And, wait, and the answer is, wait, I can answer that. <laughs> the answer is, they're not letting you. Mm-hmm. So they're not letting you. And so everybody that gets ticked off, whether they're... I don't know, taking a shot at me on Twitter or writing on Deadspin that, oh, I'm too confrontational and, oh, you know, can you stop yelling at people? And <laughs> I would say, hey, there's a re- hey, you know what? You're walking on a, a small website. I'm not talking about your God, Baseball Perspective has a, you know, a, a tremendous tradition, obviously. But all these guys who are doing excellent work at all of these smaller websites, I would ask them, hey, how come you're not on Fox during the World Series? How come you're not on baseball tonight? How come the only places that you've been able to get on TV over the last 15 years are on the shows that I host? Well, mm-hmm. they're holding you back. And if you're okay with that, well, then they're good with it, too, because that suppresses you economically. Yeah, I went on Max Kellerman, your, your friend Max Kellerman's show recently, and he told me that if I want to make the big bucks, I have to start calling people stupid. <laughs> so I'm working on it. He starts with yeah, no, you know, you don't even. You don't, you, yeah, no, I mean, you don't even have to do that. Matt Max is hilarious, and Max and I have been talking about these things for years and years. Mm-hmm. And But, yeah, you, you need to just call them out. And, and when they start, you know, trumping you with, you know, with their nonsense and they start shifting the arguments and they start just waving you away, realize they're waving you away and they're going back to their mainstream, higher-paying jobs. Mm-hmm. So, again, I say if everybody's good with that because, all oh, the, the war has been won and stop yelling at people and stop confronting people and stop – being so bold in your thoughts, uh, I say, look, I've got a gig. I've got several gigs. I can just go along and get along easily. But I don't know why we intellectually would want to do that. 
Is it inherently easier to make the the non-fact-based case on television? Is it easier to to make the case that's not based on numbers and and statistics and sabermetrics? Well, you know, it. I often just listen to the quality of what someone is saying, mm-hmm. and certainly, I'll, you know, that's what happens to me often when I'm on any set on any show that I've done over the past 15 years is I'll listen to what an analyst says and I'll sometimes think, what did you just say? What sense does that make? Mm-hmm. And I have little tolerance for that. Mm-hmm. When I left ESPN, I got one of the highest compliments I could have gotten from uh, one of the uh, editorial managers there, and his name was Chuck Salatoro. And he's in the newsroom, and we left, you know, and when I left there, it was my last day, we were talking in his office, and he, you know, we, we We'd known each other for years, and you know he was—he's an executive. He's not a guy that I chatted with a ton, uh, but he's someone that you know I would see through meetings, and you know he would watch me. And we didn't have a lot of day-to-day together except for a brief period of time when I was doing the 6 p.m. Sports Center. And he told me he said he said your best work here was on the Hot List. The Hot List was a show I did on ESPN News in the afternoon from 2003 to 2006, and there because it was this before there was sports programming in the afternoon. Believe it or not, it's not that long ago that we were on in the afternoon and everybody, most of the country, waited till 6 o'clock when Sports Center went on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that's when sports television began, at 6 p.m. We think about that. That's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing this afternoon sports show, and it's being watched by a lot of people in the industry, but we're like a small ragtag band compared to Sports Center. Sports Center has an army of people. We had a small bunch of people. So we were just working our tails off. Just saying, you know, I'll bring you up. Hey, look, it's John Clayton. You talk to him for 10 minutes. Hey, it's Peter Gammon. Talk to him for 10 minutes. And you bring in a guest. Hey, it's Billy Jean King. Wow. And, you know, you, then it's, and you, you talk to him. Hey, it's a football player. But then you go back to, you know, hey, we can start booking people that I, that I think are interesting. Right? So I immediately got Bob Dyer on, then got Joe Sheehan on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started, you know, you know, cultivating, you know, this, this group of what I would now call the intelligentsia. Started getting them on. And what Chuck Salatoro said to me was, he said, what you did on your show was you demanded that people be good on the air. He said, you challenged them, you poked back at them, you questioned them. He said, you demanded that they be good. And I took that as the highest compliment, that I didn't just move on, here's the next question, hey, thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm. I actually asked, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? And look, sometimes that gets me in trouble. Sometimes I'm sitting on a set and I'll hear something that somebody says, especially now where they've made it kind of my job to say, Harold, what are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing that I've been placed in now. So yeah, there's going to be a few more confrontations. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So as someone who's who's spent most of the season debating Harold and debating Hawk and, and various other people with, with similar viewpoints, Sam and I talked recently about whether baseball arguments ever really make any headway, you know, whether anyone is ever really persuaded after we throw out our arguments and we hash them out for a bit, whether anyone's mind has actually changed. And I was watching your segment, I think it was last week with Michael Kay, when you had him on to, to talk about pitcher wins. And and he threw out the, that same old argument about Jack Morris pitching to the score. And when he had a two-run lead, he'd allow one run. And when he had a one-run lead, he wouldn't allow any runs. And you said, you know, there have been studies done on this. It's not true. People have gone game by game and looked at his logs, and there's just no evidence that this is true. And, I, you know, he basically shrugged it off. It, it didn't change his mind. I doubt he went home and, you know, looked up those studies and said, hey, maybe there's something to this. So is anyone ever persuaded by these debates, or are we just kind of yelling past each other? 
there's been a, a very big change uh, within our walls at MLB Network. I think if you talk to Dan Plesak, if you talk to um, Sean Casey, Kevin Millar, uh, a lot of players that were just not exposed to this way of thinking, mm-hmm. suddenly I'm there, and, and not that you know I'm so great or I'm so smart, but I am there, and again, my, um, my whole you know, uh, way of being is a little more in your face and a little more, you know, wait a second, are you listening to what I'm saying? I'm not letting that go, what you just said. What makes you think that? Really? Show me some evidence, and I'll back it up. And I've had many of the, the analysts that I work for say, you've really changed the way I think. Larry Boa has said that to me. Dan Plesak, Sean Casey. Um, you know, and beyond that, even Harold, as we wrapped up the show season this year, and Harold does not want to hear this stuff. He really looks at the game a different way. And I love Harold, but he really doesn't want to hear it. And yet even he said at the end of this year, you know, I really learned a lot. You got me to think an awful lot. And you'll hear Harold now, and I'll watch at night, because I watch MLB tonight when I'm not on it, too. I watch it at night. And he'll start looking at defensive statistics. He started to integrate that into his analysis. So you tell me, is that success? I say yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wonder, at this time of year, uh, people start looking at baseball ratings, uh, and they start comparing playoff ratings to football and they never measure up, and people take this as a sign that that baseball isn't at the center of the conversation anymore, that it's declined in popularity. Uh, as someone who's you know in the broadcast world and has has covered other sports in the past, do you feel that there's any merit to this? Is you know is the game as healthy as it's ever been? Is there as much interest as it's ever been? Are ratings a fair way to to gauge its popularity? There's a lot of ways of looking at it. I think the you know, I, I, I bring this up a lot on my radio show, and I tire of it because I brought up, you know, several years ago. It was Now, I don't know, maybe it was five years ago at this point, but there was the Forbes piece that came out, the study that came out, that baseball revenue was the equal of the NFL's. Mm. Uh, but it doesn't, um, for some reason, it doesn't resonate. Maybe the NFL does a better PR job. I don't know. But I know I, you know, recently worked for ESPN, and the mantra there is constantly, do more football, do more football. People love football. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, yes, football is enormously successful. It's kept on going. It's, um, it's kind of found its way through the kind of uh, the, the dynamic of the way people watch sports and digest sports now. The once-a-week nature of it, even though it's now Thursday through Monday, just fits in a little easier into people's lives. Uh, it's a little easier to follow. Um, it's, it ha- certainly has uh, benefited from the kind of the being DVR proof that it's a, it's a weekly event that people kind of gather around to watch and they need to watch live. Um, so I'm not saying that football hasn't become enormously popular, but it, the gap between football and baseball is enormously overstated by people who really don't think it through. Mm-hmm. Is, is there any reason that the average fan should care about the ratings? I mean, assuming that they stay over, you know, some certain threshold that keeps them playing the games. Like, it seems like that gets a lot more media coverage than probably uh, it has relevance to our lives. And I'm wondering if I'm just missing the, the, the point of it all. Yeah, I get tired of it, too. I mean, look, I guess it was Rudy Martsky who was doing that first and putting up, pointing out the ratings and, uh, you know, now it's it's so prevalent. You know, the media critiques of uh, on blogs and on on websites 
And yeah, I mean, who who knows? I, 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 you, you can look at it, you can find certain trends, and I'm interested because I'm in the industry. Now, are other people interested? I have no idea. You're right. If you're not in the industry, why would you care? For me, I care. I'm in the I'm in the industry. You know, I've got to follow these things. Um, and yet, uh, yeah, I, it's it's greatly overblown. Uh, and also, uh, you know, people have to wonder why is baseball supposed to be this antique sport? Why why you know it's still generating so much revenue locally and nationally and why it still has our attention and why, you know, at stadiums, you know, we're still talking, I think they just announced it was one of the top 10 years all time in attendance. Um, and that's not including minor leagues. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm interested in that. I would think you guys are too, the average fan. Uh, yeah, I don't know why it would influence them. It seems like um, you and and Ben and I have to some degree sort of a, a niche audience that's interested in the the finer details of the game and really wants to kind of challenge themselves to some degree. Um, and the the sort of narrative stuff, the you know the no hitters and the and the, the the grit and the pitching to the score and all those sorts of things, it seems like kind of play to a bigger audience. And that's probably why they exist. That's probably why they developed over the course of a hundred years. Those things got uh, highlighted because. Uh, a lot of fans are really into them. Uh, do you think it, as those sorts of things start to, uh, you know, lose their value as, as, as storytelling devices, that uh, that it presents any sort of threat to the game as a as a general sport? Uh, is there any risk that the sport becomes kind of like horse racing, where it's only the diehards who really want to, uh, you know, get super smart about it that are going to be paying attention? No, I don't think so at all. I, 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 that's what I say about the win. That's what I say about no hitters. Uh, if these things went away, we'd miss nothing. You know, I mean, we'd miss, we'd miss nothing. Maybe, uh, yeah, you'd miss a couple of exciting, um, dramatic kind of, you know, I guess self-induced dramatic moments uh, because we kind of still think no hitters are tense and dramatic, and so. It, it it is something that we've created and now have followed and blindly follow, and so yeah, that's fun. But uh, look, the, the the pitching win is becoming more and more devalued to the point where people are looking at it less and less. And I know plenty of young fans who don't even look at it at all. The triple crown in the next twenty years is probably just going to go away, um, and yet we'll miss nothing. It's the it's game on the field that is so excellent and we'll have a better understanding of it and we don't need these you know archaic storytelling devices from the 1880s so has anything that you've pushed gotten the least traction <laughs> from a from the from the larger audience like do you get much uh positive feedback to the no hitter stuff i mean ben and i have talked about how we're not that into no hitters um but uh you know if people are, we just sort of roll with it, right? Is that is that something that you get kind of the least traction on, or is there something that you've kind of abandoned because just there just wasn't a movement there? I don't really have a, a, a wish to have any type of movement. Um, I just happen to do shows that focus on baseball and focus on uh, not just, well, you know, look, I, I'm kind of driving that, not just looking at things sabermetrically and the cultural divide, but also uh, looking at things from a historical context. And that's why I look at Triple Crown. It makes no sense. Pitcher wins. It makes no sense. Find out where they came from and realize that the people who came up with these things, uh, if, if they were still following this, they would laugh that it's still being followed in this way now that we know much better. But I'm not looking to 
you know, make a movement. I just know, hey, I'm on Twitter. I can throw it out to the audience, see what they say. And I like to, yeah, I like to tweak. I like to prod. I like to, um, you know, kind of go with uh, a little bit of blast of logic and then not back down and tell people, you tell me, you know, why you value these things that no longer actually have any value. And I'll challenge people on that. But I'm not always looking for, hey, I want to get rid of sacrifice bunts. Although I do, or I want to get rid of the save. Everybody wants to get rid of the save. So I'm barely on that at all. I'm not looking for movements or start trends. I'm doing my job, which I, I believe to be serving the audience and making them think and making them think independently. And I think there's a lot of people out there that think the same way, but there's very few people in the media that, that are there driving that and that are feeding that, that are saying, yes, by the way, this is real, this is nonsense. And if I'm overly persistent, um, it's because I guess people are on my Twitter feed or people are watching the show, so that's not a bad thing. One of the criticisms of the the kill the wind cam- kill the wind campaign is that you know you're you're preaching to the choir or that this is an accepted thing that you know we all understand and I wonder whether that's a product of the fact that you know the the sabermetric sort of fan sort of lives inside this echo chamber right where we read what each other writes right and we we re- and we talk to each other only and so it seems as if no one actually believes these things anymore. But really, I mean, they're out there, right? It's not the case that you're just, you know, talking into an echo chamber where everyone thinks these things already. You're, you know, you're, you're meeting some opposition out there. There are still people who believe these things. Listen, I was, you know, I'm, that's the thing, and that's well put, Ben. I'm stunned by those who are good writers, who are perceptive, who then start saying, stop beating the dead horse, which, you know, came out in the Deadspin piece and then in numerous places. Like, can we stop doing this? We all know this. Get over it. And I say to that, hey, I hosted the all-star press conference at City Field where the manager of the American League team told me he was going with the starter for his team because of his win-loss record, and he named his final pitcher on his staff because of his win-loss record. I'm being told on a daily basis that the major award, the highest honor for a pitcher in the American League this year is going to be awarded because of his win-loss record. Um, so you tell me if it's dead and buried. It's actually happening by those who still hold the reins of power, those who are still in the decision-making process to grant awards and then tell the greater public that, hey, this is the best pitcher in the league, this is, the best, uh, this is one of the best pitchers in the league that needs to be on the all-star team instead of, say, a Hiroki Kuroda, and when we get to our Hall of Fame voting, they will be the same people who will say, hey, Kurt Schilling doesn't have enough wins. So you're absolutely right. Everybody who is you know, following uh, you and Dave Cameron, uh, Jonah Carey, Joe Sheehan's of the world, um, they're all hearing the same sort of thing that makes perfect sense. But they're not the ones driving the bus. Mm-hmm. Jim Leland is still driving the bus. Um, I work for Major League Baseball Network, and most every person I work with as a professional analyst tells me that I'm flat out wrong in devaluing the win, that there is really something to it. Uh, So, yeah, you're absolutely right. In the real world, it's still happening. Now, there's not a GM or assistant GM that thinks that, Mm -hmm. but they're not going on, you know, they're not fighting that fight and making it something that's out there. But I'm out there pointing out the nonsense and... 
yeah, it still exists. And for those who say, oh, it's a, it's a dead horse. No, the horse is running around and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's plowing your field right now. So the horse is still out there if you want to look for it. Uh, I don't think of the dead horse as being the issue, though. I, I think of the dead horse as actually being the emotion over it. The, the fact that, you know, you, you, care, you seem to care this much about a thing that, you know, largely we've kind of just moved on from. I mean, everybody's kind of gone over this, and we've accepted that, um, you know, a large portion of the world is just going to be, you know, a bit slow to come around on some of these things. And, you know, in a few decades or whatever, the win will be dead on its own and there'll be some other thing to fight over. But like, it, it, it feels like the sort of the emotion, the, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is actually how you feel, but like it sort of comes across as like the, the sort of anger or ag- agitation about it is what kind of feels like, you know, like maybe a little bit fatiguing. Like, like we've, we've been, we went through this and, and like we're, we're sort of tired. It's like, it's like when Ben and I talked about the, the Cabrera trout thing again, it was just, you know, we didn't have the energy to have the same fight two years in a row. We, we did this last year, and it was kind of just, all right, well, we'll just accept whatever happens. Because, you know, in the end of the day, it's all just make-believe anyway. Who, who really cares what, what uh, you know, who wins an MVP or, or what stats there are? It, it just sort of feels like, like that's the issue more than anything. It's like the, the tone, right? Um, well, I don't know. When, I, when I'm on a show and someone tells me that, uh, I'm dead wrong and I don't get baseball, I'm going to defend myself. So if it appears that I'm agitated, it's because someone is telling me to my face that I'm flat out wrong and I don't get it. Maybe you don't have to deal with those guys, but I do. And if you're saying you're tired and fatigued of the issue, well, get used to losing it and enjoy losing it because you're losing it. Well, I mean, not, act- not actually losing it. I mean, the, it, the, No, you are. Do you, now, who do you think the MVP is in the American League? I don't care who the MVP is. I care about whether the you game is going You don't care about any competitive analysis or awards? Okay, uh, that's fine. But if you care about who the media, who are, spo- who are entrusted with this job of competitive analysis to tell the public who are the best players or who is worthy of the, the awards, if you're fine with those doing that job are not nearly as good as you are having the power to do that job, well, that's why you don't have that job. Yeah, I think I probably am okay with that, actually. I think that's exactly the way, the way I feel. I mean, I, I, I accept that, the, you know, half the world is going to be wrong on every issue sort of by definition. I just, you know, like how, how much energy do we really have to fight these sort of quasi-political political issues? Yeah, but look at the advances over the last 20 years. How can you say that? Bill James has been, you know, out in obscurity railing about these things for decades. I can't even imagine what Pete Palmer and John Thorne were thinking, like, in the mid-'80s when they had hidden baseball out there, which had unlocked all of these things, and nobody was listening. So if, you know, you're saying, well, in 20 years we'll all get it, well, great. Um, you'll be, I don't know, 50 or whatever you'll be, and I'll be 70. Um, I don't want to wait. I don't, know, I don't know why we have to wait for the rest of the world to smarten up. Now, that doesn't mean the guy buying a hot dog watching the game has to smarten up. If he wants to watch the game, watch the game. But then don't be a professional baseball analyst, quote, unquote, and tell me with complete certitude you know what you're looking at when you really don't. But what, what does it change if, if somebody thinks that Miguel Cabrera is more valuable than Mike Trout? What, what, does, that, what does that change for you, for, for your life or for the way you watch the game? I mean, you know who's better, and you can tell your listeners or your viewers who's better, and you can write articles about who's better, and if you have a vote, you can cast it. I, I guess I just don't see, like, if, if, you know, if there's a writer at CBS Sports who doesn't get it, uh, 
and, and, you know, has clearly been exposed to all the arguments. I mean, there is not an argument that hasn't been made yet. And, you know, he hasn't accepted those arguments. You know, what's, what's really the, the point of, of doing that column again? Uh, well, look, I don't lose sleep over it. If that's what you're saying. I mean, this is my job. I go to work and this is what we do. Yeah. And that's, that's the job, right? I mean, I'm not losing sleep. Uh, it's not more important than, you know, my family or my life or, you know, my children in college and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I would just say that um, I like that Ken Rosenthal has now back-to-back years chosen Mike Trout as his MVP. I don't think that would have happened without the sabermetric community constantly pushing forward uh, logical thinking and skeptical thinking. And John Heyman, I've had, look, John Heyman, who is kind of, you know, on the, the other side of this, is someone who is, I hope, kind of uh, the model for the future. The, uh, the sports writer who is not exposed to this level thinking, who now regularly writes about wins above replacement and is starting to see the value in at least looking at the different aspects of the game and how to quantify them. And I'll say this about John Heyman as well. Uh, two years ago, I went at him hard just while we were doing segments on Tim Raines. Now he votes for Tim Raines. This year, I went at him hard over Fred McGriff. Now he votes for Fred McGriff. I see value in that. Do you? It, well, maybe not in Fred McGriff. <laughs> but <laughs> Tim Raines, sure. <laughs> okay, last question. Okay. Uh, uh, last question. Uh, your, the tagline for Clubhouse Confidential on MLB Network is, is the show for the thinking fan. And I wonder what what percentage of fans do you think have the potential or you know the latent the latent desire to be a thinking fan? How many are there out there who just have no interest in in approaching the game that way and you can talk to them about it and you can persuade them and expose them to it and it's just never going to take. And how many are out there still kind of, you know, waiting to be converted, waiting to see the game that way if they just are exposed to it? Well, this seems strange, but I guess I would have to say I don't have the data for that. Uh, but I would say it's huge. And maybe I see things – look, I've, my, my two sons are in their mid-20s, and they both graduated from Berkeley. Um, so certainly I'm dealing with, you know, not kind of the average guy, average young guy. But when I go out to a ballpark, City Field, Fenway Park, Yankee Stadium, uh, you know, even Philadelphia, any ballpark I go to, I constantly get feedback from young male fans, guys in their 20s. Uh, When I was doing my radio show uh, on ESPN, and now that I do my radio show on NBC Sports Radio, I get feedback from young male fans, college-age guys, guys just getting out of college, who want to know what's actually going on, who want to think of things logically, guys who grew up in the information age, guys who grew up with sortable stats available to them, where they didn't have to wait for the elites to tell them or the experts to tell them what was going on on the field of play, they could look it up themselves and question it. Those guys really want to know the real deal. And those guys are the ones that I am catering to, that I'm serving. And I think it's a good thing to serve the younger viewer, younger fan, especially the younger male fan who has real interest in that. And I think the percentage is much, much higher than anyone thinks. Well, I hope you're right, because that, be, that will be good for all three of us. Uh, so thank you for, for coming on, for bringing some professionalism to this podcast. Uh, you can follow Brian on Twitter at Mr. Brian Kenny, where you can either agree with him or, or argue with him, and he will do either. Uh, and you can watch him on MLB Network. So thank you, Brian. Thank you. Sorry I got so confrontational with, <laughs> confrontational with you, Sam. <laughs> Not at all, dude. Uh, 
that was that was one that was delightful. It's a that dose was... of the authentic <laughs> the authentic Brian Kenny experience. This is just what it's <laughs> yeah, like. You, you, I, I, I didn't want to rob you of that. You know, I wanted to yell at you for a little bit, and, and so you can feel what Hawk feels. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, thank we'll you. Have to, we'll have to have you on sometime to argue about Fred McGriff for forty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, guys. All right, thank you. We'll be back next week. <laughs>